0: good morning and welcome to First Baptist Church. We're so glad you're here to worship with us this morning. If you're a guest, we'll ask one simple thing of you. You'll see there in the pew rack in front of you is a little white guest registration card. And if you can fill that out and drop that in the offering plate later, it's a great way for us to get to know you by name. And you can indicate on there to receive our newsletter so that you know about all the ministry opportunities, the mission opportunities, all the things that are going on in the life of our church. You can indicate on there ways that we can pray for you. So we do that each Monday morning in our staff meeting. And so we'd love to get to know you by name and and uh, it's a great way for you to be able to connect with our church. I want to tell you about one thing before we begin worship this morning. Um, in a four weeks, a, a team of students and, and some leaders will be going to Guatemala. And you, can, you can see the announcement there at the bottom there of your worship guide in the middle page. And so there's some supplies that we're asking for. We'd love for you to bring those items in. And There's, there's brown bins located at the welcome desk entrances. And also there by the library. If you can drop those items in there, it'll help partner with us. We'll have the chance to to speak to roughly 400 kids each day in, in schools. And so they're wide open on the schools. They invite us to come in and invite us to share the gospel, to share stories of the Bible with them, to tell them about the love that Jesus offers them. And, and so we get to spend, you know we do crafts with them, we sing with them. It's kind of like doing a, a, a mini vacation Bible school in about 30 minutes in a room. And then we go to the next room and we do that uh, probably 10 times each, each day. And so um, we just pray that you'll partner with us as we have the opportunity to share the love of Christ with them. And uh, if you could bring those items, it's a great great way for us to be able to, to care for those people and share within the love of God. I'm gonna pray for us and then we'll continue to worship. Father, I wanna take just a minute to begin to pray for uh, Guatemala and to pray for those hearts of the lives that we'll have the opportunity to speak into. And God, I pray that we uh, can share your love, your un- unconditional love that you have for us. Father, I pray that you give us uh, an opportunity to be able to share uh, your forgiveness, your grace with them, God pray that you uh, take care of all the details, take care of all the issues that might come along, uh, Father, so that we can present them to you. Lord, as we gather now in worship, I pray that you speak to our hearts. We thank you that you wanna teach us, that you wanna pour into our lives so that we know who you are and your desire to have a personal relationship with us. Lord, speak to us now through these, through the preaching of your word, through the singing of these songs. It's in your son's name we pray. Will you
1: stand with me and let's sing together hymn number 290. Let's stand together. In the arms of faith and be closer drawn to thee. Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed. Please be seated. It's great to know that all of our hope is bound up in Jesus.
2: I've been held by the Savior, I felt a fire from. I've been down to the river, I ain't the same, a prodigal return.
1: Psalm 103, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. I tell you, what, we you stand and let's sing this together. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O my soul. Worship his holy name. Sing like never before. This is the- Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercy, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to his children. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in mercy. And the people of God said,
3: Good morning, it's good to see you today. Joy to worship with you and glad that you're here today. Happy Mother's Day to you. We are uh, blessed to honor mothers today. And uh, if you have a Christian mother, you're doubly blessed by that heritage. May we be to others what they have been to us. I'm sharing a series of messages on family life. The season in Mother's Day to Father's Day, I often pray for and think about families. and. So, I'm sharing in May and June the major New Testament passages about families. So, we're going to look at all varieties of family life, and we're beginning in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. This is a long chapter, so I started last week, and we're going to continue in this chapter again today. 1 Corinthians 7 deals about singleness and marriage. And so, last week, we looked at the verses that primarily speak to singleness. And we learned from 1 Corinthians 7 that uh, Christian singles need to be affirmed. That singleness is a valid choice for a Christian. And whether it's just for a season in your life that you're a single, or whether that's the whole direction of your life, uh, singleness is a valid lifestyle for a Christian. We don't ever want to treat singles as second class uh, Christians. Today, we're going to look at the parts of 1 Corinthians 7 that deal primarily with marriage. And so, the primary thought and question in this section is should I stay in this marriage? Maybe some of you are in a difficult marriage uh, and you're wondering, should I stay in this? Well, that's primarily what we're looking at in 1 Corinthians 7 uh, today. Now, you remember that with this chapter the context is that 1 Corinthians 7 Paul begins to answer questions that the Corinthians had written in a letter and asked him 1st Corinthians 7 1 says now for the matters you wrote about so Paul is answering questions that they have asked for him they want to know at Corinth how does the Christian life apply to all areas of life those are questions we ought to be asking This thing of following Jesus should infiltrate every area of our life. When Jesus is our Lord, he ought to be Lord of our home and our family. And So they're beginning to ask questions. What does it mean to follow Jesus in every area of life? I hope you ask those questions. So the first set of questions is something to do with family life. The problem is we've got the answers, but we don't have the questions. We're sort of like we have half of a conversation here, so we're not sure exactly what the Corinthians were asking that Paul is answering. But it appears that he's restating their question in verse 1. You see how that's in quotation marks as if he's quoting what they've said now for the matters you wrote about and then he quotes this. It literally says he's quoting them, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Last week we looked at the 1984 NIV translation which translates that it's good for a man not to marry a woman. Saying that from all that they were sort of overreacting to all the immorality at Corinth and so they sometimes what we do when we try to avoid one st- extreme we go to the other and so they were out of this immorality they were saying well it's probably better that Christians just don't ever marry and Paul says no that's not the case But Another twist on what they may have been saying, which is reflected in the 2011 NIV that you have on the screen there, the one in the pews is the older one, the print copy, but usually up here on the screen we have the newer revision. They've taken it to say it could be that you're saying it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. That is, even if you're married. It may have been that there were some at Corinth that saying, now that we're Christians, there's been so much immorality, you just ought to live a celibate life now if you've gotten saved, even if you're married. Or it may have been that they were saying at Corinth, isn't it better to have sexual relationships only for procreation, for to have children? Remember last week, if you're here, I shared four purposes of marriage for purposes of marriage, or for partnership, for procreation, for pleasure, and for purity. Well, maybe they were saying Christians should come together only to have children, not for pleasure. They're reacting against that morality, immorality and going too far. Well, here's Paul's response. He says to them, celibacy is good lifestyle if you're going to be single, but not good if you're married. It, it's not a way to live if you're married. Verse 2, Paul begins his answer. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. One of the things I want you to see as we go through these verses is the equality of the relationship. Christianity introduced the equality of a husband and a wife, and that was revolutionary. Paul is going to say these things to each uh, part of this relationship, and, and we don't appreciate how revolutionary that was, that equality of men and women and the equality of a husband and wife. uh, Paul is saying here, verse 3, the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. Verse 4, the wife does not have authority over her own body but yields it to her husband. In the same way the husband does not have authority over his own body but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other. Do not withhold or rob each other. Sometimes when a people are having problems in a marriage, they weaponize intimacy. They use intimacy as a weapon in the fight. And withholding intimacy becomes a, a bargaining chip. And Paul says, don't do that. He says within a marriage relationship, that's a rich part of of marriage, and then he gives an exception to these uh, Corinthians who are are teaching this. He says, "Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer." So Paul says, "Okay, you're you're it, You're saying maybe we should abstain. He said, okay, you can do it." for a time, limited time, by mutual consent and for the purpose of prayer. Then he says, then come together so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. He says, I say this as a concession, not as a command. This taking a break is a concession to you who are wanting to be ascetic, not a command that you have to do that. Well, How does this apply to us? Most of us are not dealing with this specific problem of marriages wondering if there there should be a sexual relationship in a marriage. Here's what it does say to us that we can learn: distance or separation in a marriage relationship is dangerous. They were wanting to, some of them at Corinth were wanting to put distance separation in a marriage relationship, and Paul says only for a limited time, only by mutual consent, only for prayer, because distance. Our separation in a marriage relationship is dangerous. Uh, sometimes I'll talk to, to marriages, people who are in, having a problem in a marriage, and they'll say, we're just going to separate for a while. We're just going to take a break. We're fighting so much when we're together that, that one is just going to move out. And we're going to separate for a while and, and, and hopes that will help our marriage. And you know, biblically, I don't ever see where separation is going to help your marriage. That distance doesn't help your marriage. What Paul is saying here, it only creates temptation that Satan takes advantage of. I would counsel you try to stay under your roof in your marriage. If you're having trouble and somebody needs to sleep on the couch for a while, okay. Sleep in a guest bedroom, okay. But try to stay under the same roof because distance and separation is dangerous. Now, the one exception I would say to that counsel is if there's danger in your marriage relationship, if there's abuse, then there needs to be distance. There needs to be separation. Don't stay in a dangerous or abusive relationship. Uh, Create some distance and call the civil authorities. That's where God ordained government authority to have, you need a restraining order or throw the bum in jail, there shouldn't be any abuse in a marriage relationship or any danger there. But Except for that situation, try to stay together. Let me ask you to think about, if you're married, about your marriage, is there any distance growing in your marriage relationship? Is there, just in your conversation, just in the way you relate, you're just not as close as you were? There's There's a crack of distance beginning? Would you see that distance is dangerous? Would you address that crack before it becomes a canyon and becomes much harder to repair? Distance in a marriage gives the devil an opportunity to divide, Paul is saying here, and he would encourage us to address that distance early. Well, Paul goes on in, in chapter 7 to give marriage to uh, give um, Counsel to two Christians who are married. Verse 10. Two Christians who are married should not divorce, Paul says. So they must have asked some question about this. And Paul says in verse 10, To the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. Now, that in parentheses is simply Paul saying, It's not just me speaking on this. Jesus has addressed this. And so he's referring to the Lord Jesus. He's saying, This is not just my words, these are Jesus' words. If any brother has a wife who's not a believer, uh, or excuse me, I've got on the wrong verse, uh, to the, the married, I give this command, not I but the Lord, a wife must not separate from her husband. And, the, and so let, what is he referring to that Jesus said? Let's jump to uh, read Jesus' words in Matthew 19, 9, to which Paul is referring here. Jesus had said about this, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another woman commits adultery. So Jesus had taught, and Paul is reaffirming or quoting here, that when two Christians are married, you're not to divorce and remarry, you're to work your problems out. He says the one exception would be adultery, infidelity, unfaithfulness. Because in that case, your partner has already broken that one flesh relationship, and so you if you choose are freed from that. He's saying don't you break that bond. Don't if you come into a marriage, you determine I'm not going to break this vow. Not going to break this one flesh relationship. If your partner breaks it by adultery or unfaithfulness, you're freed from that vow because he's already broken it, but don't you break it. So back in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 11, he goes on to say, "But if she does, but he says if you divorce for some reason other than Adultery, if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And then he says it the opposite way, as we've seen all through this chapter. And a husband must not divorce his wife. Paul says for Christians, stay together. If you cannot live together, remain single or or hope for reconciliation. There can be, in any circumstances, perhaps that hope of reconciliation. Then Paul answers their question, apparently, about a Christian married to a non-Christian. And they're asking him, if a believer is married to an unbeliever, should they divorce? We saw last week from this chapter that he gave the counsel to singles, that if you're single, you should marry in the Lord, that is, marry another believer. Well, what about if the case, which is probably true at Corinth, they came to know Christ many of them in this church after they had already married and maybe one person becomes a believer in a marriage and the other doesn't so what should we do now if you weren't supposed to marry an unbeliever so should when you find yourself married in that situation should you divorce and or or what about if you were uh if you just did it wrong and uh, you were you were a believer before you got married but you just didn't follow god's advice or you didn't know god's advice So now you're in that situation of being married to an unbeliever. Should you end the marriage? Paul says, no. A believer should remain married to an unbeliever if the unbelieving spouse is willing. Look at verse 12. To the rest, I say this, I, not the Lord. So here he's simply saying, Jesus didn't speak directly on this situation, so I'm giving you my counsel. Now we believe that all scripture is inspired, so what Paul is saying is of, equal validity and authority in our lives as what Jesus said, but Paul is simply letting them know that Jesus did not speak on this. To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord, if any brother has a wife who's not a believer, and by by the way, note that word for Christian there. One word that the Bible uses for a Christian is a believer. A Christian is a person who believes in Jesus. You're not a Christian because you're in a Christian nation or a Christian family or because you're not an atheist, you must be a Christian. You're a Christian when you personally believe the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection for our sins, and you trust in him for your salvation. You believe in him. So that's what a Christian is. Wonderful word for a Christian in this passage is a believer. So it says, if any brother has a wife who's not a believer and she's willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman, here's the other side, it reciprocal as well. If a woman has a husband who's not a believer and he's willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. Why? Verse 14, for the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife. And the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her b- believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean but as it is, they're holy. Paul is offering a word of encouragement to marriages that are less than the ideal, that you wind up in a situation where one of you is in church and a Christian and the other is not. Paul has a word of encouragement. He says the presence of one believer in that marriage sanctifies the family. Now, what does he mean by that? Usually, the word sanctifies means to be saved. Does it mean that one Christian in a marriage saves everybody else in a family? No, we know the answer is not that because in verse 16 he's just going to say in just a moment we're going to read, you don't know whether your husband will be saved or not. So it doesn't mean that here. What does it mean? It's a word of encouragement that your presence has an effect on the family that is positive. You bring prayer, you bring the presence of Christ into your family. You can have a good marriage, don't be discouraged. Yeah, it may be less than ideal, but God says other people reap the benefits of the presence of a believer. Whether it's in a workplace, they're gonna reap the benefits of the presence of a believer, or in a marriage. And so Paul's encouraging you to stick with that marriage to saying your presence there brings blessing to your unbelieving spouse. Might draw him to be saved, but even if it doesn't, It it creates an environment. You can have a Christian home and a Christian family with one person in that family. Then he says, but in verse 15, but if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. If he's willing to stay with you or she's willing to stay with you, stay in that marriage. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or the sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you'll save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you'll save your wife? So he says there's no guarantee that your spouse will come to know Christ. That's what you pray for. That's what you hope for. And it may well happen. Often it is that the presence of a believer in a marriage leads to the salvation of the other. And that's a wonderful thing. But there's no guarantee because there's a human will at work here. And each person has the terrible freedom to reject Christ. So he's saying you stick with that marriage, even though it's less than ideal, but if you are abandoned, if that person cannot tolerate your newfound faith and your loyalty and they leave, then let that person go. Uh, uh, You're not bound to that relationship. So Paul is saying to believers... Don't break your marriage bond unless the other person breaks it by adultery. A believer and a non-believer, you stay in that marriage, but if that person deserts or abandons you, then you're not bound in that way anymore. You're free. Paul summarizes this section in verse 17. and He says, be content regardless of your marital situation serve God where you are until he moves you into different circumstances. Let me read you verse 17. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. So Paul is saying, Corinthians, you seem to be restless thinking that where you are in the marital situation you're in, when you got saved, oh, it's got to change. I I can't serve God here. I can't be content. I can't be happy here. And he says, listen, you can be content in any situation, even if it's less than ideal. Let me read to you this same verse from the message paraphrase. I like how the message paraphrase. This is the same verse. Let me read it to you. Don't be wishing you were someplace else or with someone else. You know, that's what a lot of people in a marriage are doing. They're just wishing they were someplace else or with someone else. Some of you, you're thinking, man, my husband is a dork. (laughs) And that guy I worked with, he's totally different He's so dreamy. He's just got it all together. Oh, I just wish my husband was like that. Or maybe I just wish I was with someone else. The Word of God. Listen, this is the Word of God. Those are your thoughts. Listen to it. Where you are right now is God's place for you. Live and obey and love and believe right there. God, not your marital status, defines you. You can learn to be content in your circumstances. And some of us, in all areas of life, are always thinking we would be happier somewhere else, aren't we? And some of us spend our whole lives thinking we'd be happiest in the next phase of life. Some of you you kids are in middle school or ninth grade academy, and school term is coming to an end, and you're thinking, I can't wait to get out of this place and get to high school. Oh, it is going to be so much better when I get to high school. And then in a few years near the end of your high school career, you're going to be saying to yourself, I can't wait wait to get out of this place and graduate and go to college. Oh, my life is going to be so much better when I get in college. And then you're going to say, I can't wait till I get married. So tired of being single. And then you're going to say, I can't wait till I have kids. Oh, I want to have kids. And then in a few years you're going to be saying, I can't wait till these kids leave home. Oh, it will be so good when these kids leave home. And then you're gonna come to a stage in your life when you say, there are only 44 more days till I retire. I can't wait to get out of this place. I'll be so glad when I can retire. And you know what we're doing? We're thinking that happiness is in a different circumstance of our lives, like a carrot at a stick. We never reach that circumstance that will make us happy. And the key to happiness is not in the change of circumstances alone. Yes, if you can better your life, better your situation, do it. But I'm saying to you, Paul is saying, whatever your situation, you can learn to be content in it. When I talk to couples who are uh, planning to get married, do premarital counseling sometimes, a book that I'll recommend to them is Saving Your Marriage Before It Starts by Les Parrott. And he has seven chapters in it, seven questions you ought to ask yourself before you get married. And one of those chapter titles, one of those questions is have you developed the habit of happiness? The point being that if you think marriage is going to complete you and make you happy, you're wrong because That alone will not make you happy. But if you'll find happiness where you are, instead of looking for somebody to complete you, then you'll be happy in marriage. If you can be happy where you are now and not say that this marriage is going to complete me, then you you can be happy. And similarly, some of you may be thinking, if I could get out of this marriage, then I would be happy and I'd say the same thing to you. Just a change of circumstance or situation alone will not make you happy. It's when you find your happiness in something greater than your circumstances, in your relationship to Christ, He's the only one who can complete you. and You can find your completeness in Him even if you're single or in a tough marriage or a mixed marriage or a divorced situation. Or a witted situation you can find completeness in Jesus Christ independent of your circumstances and then when you find that completeness in him you're better equipped to move into a relationship with someone or move into another phase in your life let me read to you what Paul said in Philippians 4 10 through 13 Paul was in prison when he wrote this not ideal circumstances for most of us right Hey, I'm going to take a week off, going to go to prison for a while. Not, not what most of us are thinking are ideal circumstances, right? But listen to what Paul said in prison, Philippians 4.10, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Paul is writing to thank the Philippians for how they've sent him help in prison and throughout his ministry. But then he, he wants to clarify, I'm not saying this because I'm in need For I have, here it is, for I have learned the secret to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. That's the secret of contentment, independent of your marital situation or your circumstances. Paul would say, find your contentment where you are. Find your happiness in Jesus alone. Let me lead us in a prayer for marriages. Would you join me, please? Father in heaven, I want to pray right now for marriages, for those who are married. I pray for those who have some distance widening in their marriage relationship. I pray you'd help them to see the danger of that distance and help them now to reengage, reaffirm, to close the gap, to have conversations, to reach out, to restore to wholeness that relationship before that distance widens into an irreversible gap. And Lord, I want to pray for believers who are having a tough time in marriage. I pray you'd help them to keep their marriage vows. Uh, Even, Lord, when there is adultery, many times you, who has forgiven us far greater sins, you can give that person the ability to forgive. And so I would pray for that. Where that can't happen, I pray you'd give grace. But, oh Lord, short of that, help us to stick with our marriage vows and our commitment. I want to pray, Lord, for those who are married to an unbeliever. And they experience the difference of worldview and outlook and causes some tension. Oh, Lord, encourage them. Help them to see they can have a sanctified family. Strengthen them right now. And we pray for those unbelieving spouses that they might be saved. For all of us, Lord, help us to find our contentment in you and you alone, that we may enjoy every stage of life content in you. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now I want to share one more thing with you. I'm not done yet. Usually when I pray, you're conditioned to think I'm done, but I'm not today, so stay with me for just a moment more. What if you failed at all this? 1 Corinthians 7 gives some, some rules that Christians ought to follow in your marriage relationship. What if you've already failed at that? Is it hopeless for you? Is God done with you? I want to share with you a story. You probably know Billy Graham died earlier this year on his funeral March 2nd. Each of his children gave a testimony of some memory of their father. I want to share with you the testimony that Ruth Graham, their daughter, shared. She shared how she'd been married for 21 years and then her husband cheated on her, committed adultery, marriage had ended in divorce. and She understood that she shouldn't have shame about that, she didn't choose that, but it hurt nonetheless. She was wounded. She decided that she'd move from Virginia to be near her sister Gigi, who lived in Florida. Gigi went to a church there, she got in church with Gigi, and the pastor of that church introduced her to a man in the church who was a widower, and they started dating fast and furious. And she says her children didn't like him, and, uh, but she said eh, they're going to be gone soon. They don't, what do they know? I'm the one who's lonely. Her dad called her from the Tokyo Crusade where he was preaching and said, Ruth, would you just let us get to know this man a little bit? I think you're going too fast. Her mother called her, she said, and said, just give this some time. And she said to herself, they're not the ones who are lonely. What do they know? And she married him And she, on New Year's Eve. And she said within 24 hours, I knew I'd made a mistake. The marriage lasted five weeks. He was abusive. She felt in danger. She fled. She left. And when she left, where did she have to go but home? And so she made the two-day drive from South Florida to Montreat, North Carolina, where Billy and Ruth Graham lived. And I want to read you from her testimony what she said were her thoughts during that two-day drive. I felt wrecked. I was coming home with my life in pieces. Shame weighed me down. I dreaded having to meet my parents' gaze. I didn't think I could handle what their eyes might communicate. I wanted to run and hide, but I couldn't. I had nowhere else to go. I couldn't undo my mistakes. I knew I had to face it. I felt unworthy to go home, but I needed my parents. Questions swirled in my mind. What was I going to say to daddy? What was I going to say to mother? What was I going to say to my children? I'd been such a failure. What were they going to say to me? We're tired of fooling with you. We told you not to do it. You've embarrassed us. I wound up that mountain road. And as I rounded the last bend in my father's driveway, my father was standing there waiting for me. My father, who had every reason to rebuke, wrapped his strong arms around me, pulled me into a warm embrace, and greeted me with these simple words, welcome home. There was no shame, there was no blame, just unconditional love. So if you failed you've blown it, if you've disobeyed God's clear instruction, which would have saved you some pain, his words to you are not, I told you so. But his words to you are, welcome home, go and sin no more, start over, I still love you. Would you stand together with me, we're going to have a time of invitation. If you'd like to embrace Jesus as Savior and Lord of your life, regardless of where you've been, what you've done, you know what you'll find him saying? Welcome home. I love you. I died to forgive you. Go and sin no more. I'm with you. I'm going to invite you to walk down one of these aisles and meet me here, another pastor here. If you'd say, I want to become a follower of Jesus, I want to be baptized in his name, confess Him as Lord, begin to live for him. I want to invite you to come. If you need a church home, maybe you're lonely. We'd love to be your surrogate family, your second family, your spiritual family. You can come and join this church. Meet someone, meet me or another pastor here. Maybe you want to pray about some family situation. Maybe you want to pray about your marriage. Maybe you want to pray for a marriage. Maybe you want to pray for your kids. Whatever you need, if you want somebody to pray with you, come to me, and I'll pair you with someone, or you can pray on your own. Would you respond to God in this time?
2: The riches of this world will fade. The treasures of our God remain. Here I empty myself to owe this world nothing and find everything in you. The riches of this world will fade the Treasures of
3: Thank you. Please be seated, if you will, for just a moment. We're going to give our offerings now. In a further act of worship, we give back to a good God as we've given him our praises and song and we've given him our ears to his word. We give him now from what he's blessed us with for his kingdom. If you're a guest with us, uh, we encourage you to just let your guest card be your offering today. Let's pray. Most kind and gracious, Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for the privilege of being in your house this morning. Lord, uh, I lift up the mom's all the moms that are here, and ask a special blessing on them today. Lord, I thank you for my mother and the influence she had on my
1: life. Lord, we just pause now and and as we continue our worship by giving back a small portion of what you've blessed us with, Lord, I lift up these tithes and offerings, Lord, and pray that uh, we use them wisely, that Holy Spirit you lead us, and Lord, that they're used to grow your kingdom and show your love throughout this community and this world. I pray in the most holy, precious name of Jesus. Amen. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins. The punishment that brought us peace was upon by his wound, by his wound we are He the peace for our transgressions, the spirits for our sin. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him by his wound. Tears for our transgressions was crushed for our sin. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Healed by your sacrifice in the life that you gave, we are here for you, paid the price. By your grace, we are saved. We are saved. He was beautiful transgressions crushed for our sins the punishment that brought I know nothing but the blood of Jesus.
3: Hey Jake's coming to close this out. Before he does, I want to share just a word about finish line with you. Last Sunday was our commitment day for finish line. Finish line is our capital campaign where we're asking church members to consider giving a little extra for three years, 156 weeks starting the 1st of June, and enable us to pay off our church loan on our new buildings, new property, and so last Sunday, uh, through last Sunday, we've had hundred and three families make a commitment to finish line. We praise God for that, and we're gonna announce the total committed next Sunday. So we're giving just one more week of grace for those of you who are out of town last week. Are you procrastinators who wait to the last minute? Well, here it is. It's the last minute. So we're asking you, would you turn in a commitment card if you feel led to be a part of this campaign? Their commitment cards are at the Welcome Center or you can do it online on our church website. Last time we had 130 uh, families committed. This, so far we got 103 so I'm looking for at least 27 more of you families. Come help us. We need your help. Thank you for those who have committed. Jake.
4: All right. Just want to remind everybody that registration for Vacation Bible School is now open. So there is paper registration forms at the Welcome Center. You can always go to our website as well. There's online registration available for that. Also, this Wednesday night, we resume Wednesday night suppers. So uh, we have all that lined up. So if you haven't made your reg- reservation yet, please do so. So we'll have that. That starts at 5 p.m. Wednesday evening. Um, Did you tell them about Guatemala and all the things that they need to do there? Let me just remind you, bring stuff that's uh, in the worship guide about Guatemala and the mission trip there. We definitely want to be able to supply all the needs and uh, be a part of that mission trip. With all these things being said, let's uh, close out our service together in prayer. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Father, as we've heard in your word, God, um, you call us uh, to have strong marriages, but Lord, you even give so much grace to us. We are so grateful for your grace, for your love, for your care over us. As we walk into our mission field this week, may we display that grace and care to others. And we ask this in Jesus' good name. Amen.